A reading from the Gospel of John, chapter 12, verses 17 to 33. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard he had done the sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Now among those who went off to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates this life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. The Father will honor him. Now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, This voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And when I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. This is the mighty word of the Lord. Are you supposed to hate your wife? It's a bit of an awkward question, uh, partly because some do, and some people are actually glad for the wives that they have, but look out at the world and all of its difficulties and feel guilty. Should you be glad for the life that you have? Jesus often says things that are difficult, um, but he's also trying to make us see things that we otherwise wouldn't see. And one of the things he says in the passage that was read in the second part of verse 25, he says, whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. So John, who writes this gospel, is writing so that we would have eternal life. There's something good offered to us, but, but in that good news, that good announcement, Jesus introduces something troubling. What does it mean that we are to hate our wives in this world. And clearly, he's trying to, to call us to a radically different way of thinking, living, experiencing life in the world, which means to be consistent with the rest of what he teaches, to be consistent with the Bible. 
He's clearly not trying to, us incur- to encourage us to hate our lives in the world in the ways that we naturally do. He's actually saying the very things that you think are giving you life are causing you to hate life in the world. I want to give you the things that actually give life. So when we think of hating life in this world, there's probably lots of things we could think of, but despair and self-loathing would be the kinds of experiences that many would say, yeah, I have despair. I, I hate my existence. Is Jesus saying that's how he wants his servants to live? He's saying, no, this is how human beings live. I want people out of that. Self-loathing. Do you hate who you are, who you've been? Is Jesus saying, if you're my follower, you need to hate yourself? He's saying, no, if you're not my follower, you're going to be subject to hating yourself. I'm trying to show you a radically different way. So the Christian life is not meant to be marked by despair or self-loathing, even if the Christian life is lived in this world that is challenging, that is hard, that is discouraging. So Jesus is not offering us a quick fix for happiness. But he's saying, if you want life, uh, you can't just keep on going as you're going. And so this challenge is a hard challenge, but he puts his money where his mouth is. He, he actually, we're looking at a passage where he's not simply saying human beings need to deny themselves, but we're at the very end of, of the earthly ministry as Jesus records it in John's gospel. And by the end of the week that we're reading these, uh, th- these words in, Jesus will be crucified. And so it's a very sober time, and so he talks about very sober things, but what he's trying to make sure he leaves us with is the clear invitation and way forward to receive life. And so what I want to talk about today, uh, three things. One, hating life in this world. Secondly, judgment of the world. And then third, glory and honor for the world. So I'm beginning with Jesus talking about hating life in this world. All of us have a number of desires and instincts. Most of us have some instinct towards self-preservation. We want to get through difficulties. We want to extend our lives. Most of us have an instinct towards glory. Now, glory is a word from this passage. Maybe glory is not in your vocabulary, but, but most of us have an instinct for greatness, for transcendence, for something bigger than the ordinary, for something more wonderful than this world has. And, and many of the desires we have are meant to work together, but occasionally we have to make choices. And Jesus is now entering a period where the choice between self-preservation and glory, uh, it seems like he can't have both. And so as he's talking to us about how to view our own lives, uh, he's giving us something here as he leads us into this. And the context for this is this, from a human perspective, would be a climactic moment in Jesus's ministry, because what we think of as valuable are things like popularity, success. Uh, so in the, in the passage that was read last week, if you go back and read the previous section, as Jesus is coming to Jerusalem, enormous crowds are going out to greet him. And Jesus had done something. He raised a man named Lazarus from the dead. And there were lots of people who were there. And so many of those people are hearing that Jesus is coming and they run out to greet him. But so many people saw it and are talking about it that there's this buzz of these people that had gathered in Jerusalem for the Passover festival that when they hear Jesus is coming as they they run out. 
And for most of us, we would probably wish the gospel ended there. Jesus comes and he does kind things and he teaches and he does all these wonderful things showing he's a great human being. And everyone comes and they give him applause and they welcome him and they honor him and they want him to be the king. That would be a wonderful ending, but that's not the way things end. And so uh, in verse 19, the, the religious skeptics who have already decided that Jesus is enough of a problem that they need to get rid of him because he's going to uh, mess with the stability of what's already a politically tumultuous situation. They are discouraged as the crowds go out. They say the world has gone after him. Interesting word there, the world. As Jesus doesn't say that you need to hate your life, he says you need to hate your life in this world. Now the religious leaders are saying the world has gone after him. Um, how do we think about the world? One of the most famous verses in John's gospel, John 3:16. God so loved the world that he gave his son that whoever believes in him would have life. God wants us to have life. God loves the world. But what he's talking about there is the people of the world, not the systems of the world. John in 1 John 2 says, don't love the world for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life. This is not from the Father. This is from the world. God loves people. God does not like what greedy, what lustful, what selfish, what violent people do. And so, so Jesus is saying, uh, I'm calling you out of the natural ways of this world with their corruptions uh, to live a different way. And so as he's doing this, it's not simply faithful Jews that lived in the area or even in the north in Galilee who would have heard of him. But, but verse 20 and 21, there are these Greeks and uh, they would have been Greek-speaking people. We don't know if they were ethnically Jewish, uh, but lived in the diaspora, or if they were um, what's sometimes called God-fearers, people who believe that the God of uh, the nation of Israel is the creator of the heavens and the earth, and they would have come to be near for this festival. Uh, but whatever the case is, they have a message for Philip. We wish to see Jesus. They've heard so much about Jesus, this man who taught with wisdom, who had this unique authority, who healed people, who fed hungry crowds. They now come to this region and they want to see him. And that would strike us as a wonderful moment. The world really is going after him. Isn't that what we want? That Jesus was sent so that people would follow him and now it looks like they're gonna follow him. But the story doesn't end there. And so therefore Jesus alludes to one of the problems. Verse 31. He, knowing that he is going to be laying down his life, says, now will the ruler of this world be cast down. And throughout John's gospel, there's this adversary who seems to be at work under the scenes. And, and he's not named. He's not always clearly alluded to, except in the next chapter, Judas, one of Jesus' own disciples, will choose to betray him. It says Satan entered into him. Um, but in most cases, it's not that explicit. But here, Jesus, when he's talking about the world, he's talking about a ruler of this world. He's talking about a problem in the world that he's coming that needs to be fixed. And, and to, to try to uh, help you understand some of what I think is going on here as an illustration. So we've, Emmanuel has been in this uh, particular place for more than 20 years. We don't own this space. We're renters. And if you've been part of our church for a while, you may have noticed that 
there's a, an enormous building being built on the northern part of uh, this building. So for many years, um, this building taking two square blocks, you could sort of walk the loop <laughs> uh, around the building. You can't do that anymore because the northern part of the building has been closed off that it was sold to a real estate developer that's they're now going to be luxury apartments. So for example, uh, years ago, we had this wonderful women's Christmas brunch at this room downstairs over there. Uh, and that room no longer belongs to the school we rent from, but now belongs to this building. Maybe it will be their fitness room. I don't know. There have been numerous uh, Emmanuel weddings where couples got married here and then just went up the stairs next to the bathroom to this beautiful room there. Now, if you look next to the bathroom, it's not a wall. It's a wall in the shape of a door. It used to be a doorway in, and now it's a wall because it no longer belongs to this building. And if I've read the architectural plans right, I think it's going to be a swimming pool. And that's not a joke. I actually think the room next door that some of you have had your wedding celebrations in is now a swimming pool. And what would be wonderful for those of you who will be worshiping us in August in this beautiful but not air-conditioned room would be if they would come over and say, why don't you come after, after church and join us in the pool? And, you know, we have this rooftop garden where there's a, a grill and, you know, you're not allowed to grill uh, over here in Socorro Park, but you could go upstairs and have a hamburger. That would be wonderful. But we do not own this building or that building. And the assumption is we're lucky to be here. We are not uh, going into that swimming pool. The, the doors have been closed. The walls are up. And now that part of the building is lost to us. The Bible presents the world, the Genesis 1 and 2. Uh, God creates the heavens and the earth. So the heavens are not just, you know, the place where God resides, but the, all of creation. But, but the story goes such that, that some barriers have been put up, that, that there's access now to things where God gives this picture of fruitfulness, of fullness. Go out into the world. Uh, fill the world with life. Um, now it's kind of like there's an eclipse. The sun is still there, but something has come in between uh, the earth and the sun so that we just don't see the brightness. Something has come between God and humanity where there's a fullness of what God would have for his people that uh, in this world we no longer have access to. We, we, don't, we don't see God in his goodness and glory. We don't hear the voice of the God who encourages us, uh, the voice of God who encourages us. And there's something about life in this world where it feels like we're renters here and now there's a ruler of the world. There's been a management change. There's somebody who, who now is here and he's saying, this is what, what you get and nothing else. And, and the picture of the Bible is, but God has made us to long for wonderful, big, beautiful things. And so we still have those desires, but because we don't access them as they come to us from God, we run after them in the things God has made. So we think that the fulfillment of this desire for wonderful uh fulfilling life is if I have enough followers on my YouTube channel and if that generates enough income that I could have wealth, wealth and fame, will that satisfy me? And one of the things Jesus is saying is so long as you think those things will satisfy you in the running after them, you are giving up life because to the degree that you're not achieving them, you will become resentful. Your envy will take over. But even if you are successful, you'll find that there's a hollowness, that the things of this world were not meant to satisfy you. There's more uh, that you're not yet accessing, and so you're settling for too little. And so when Jesus talks about loving 
and hating in verse 25. He says, whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. And so what he's saying here is not that we need to be filled with hatred. He's talking about a kind of zeal for life that is instinctive for us, but, but gets um, corrupted. And so we run after things thinking we'll find life in experiences of pleasure, in power over others. And what Jesus is saying is when you're seeking after those things, you're losing life in the very trying to attain life. But actually, if you hate your life in this world, you'll find that you're actually attaining life. And, and it's helpful to know that, that um, the uh, modern 21st century English speakers, at least, think of love and hate as emotional world, world, words about how you feel. And it's not that there's no emotion in the biblical words, uh, but, but the connotation as you read the Bible is, is less about how you feel and more about what you choose. And so, so loving is, is choosing, is taking hold of, and hating is rejecting and distancing yourself. So when Jesus says to, to be careful not to love life in this world, he's saying don't choose to run after the things of this world, but actually hate life in this world. In other words, reject it. Don't be drawn to think that's what's going to satisfy you, but actually live in this world with what will truly satisfy you, and then you will keep the life that you currently have. And so the example Jesus gives of himself, he says, uh, he's like a grain of wheat in, in verse 24. Um, speaking of himself, he says, truly I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Jesus does not love suffering and death. Jesus comes to give life. And he's talking about himself now, saying in the same way that I could remain a seed, perfect, intact, but, but if a seed is put in the ground, he will bear fruit. Um, the world is missing what will truly give life. Jesus comes and says, I've come to give life, but the irony is it's through my laying down my life that, that life will extend, that there will be fruitfulness. A seed dies alone, uh, but it grows to a tree where there's a harvest. Jesus will go to the cross alone but his goal is that then he would gather many people to himself, people who have his life working in them. So Christians are fruit, but Christian lives are built or are meant to bear fruit. The signs of life actually working in us, the signs of eternal life as we grow with the fruits of the spirit, peace, joy, patience, as we put aside the ways of our natural human instincts division, anger, envy, factions, those sorts of things. And so um, what Jesus is saying here is that we need to, to be aware that, that the Christian life doesn't come easily as if it's instinctive, but, but discipleship is to trust him enough to listen so that if it feels like you're giving up everything that's valuable to you, um, then you need to trust that he actually will not only restore whatever sacrifices we make, but he will fill your life with good. It's very hard to believe that, but what Jesus is saying is if you want eternal life, which I've, I've come to give you, don't just evaluate whether or not you like what I'm saying. Don't just try to incorporate some of my teachings into your life, but, but trust me enough to follow me. And it's not gonna be easy, but you will find that you come alive when you do. 
So the second thing I want to talk about, the first thing was hating life in this world. The second thing I want to talk about is judgment of the world. So uh, we're nearing this dramatic moment where Jesus himself will be crucified. His crucifixion is a judgment. He is judged by the world. So Jesus has taught, he has healed, he has fed, uh, he has challenged. And what is the reward for that? It's his rejection. So in verse 31, Jesus says, now is the judgment of this world. The time is coming that he will be condemned. But given who he is, he says he's the very son of God, our condemning him brings judgment on us. Because we could say we're good people, we like whatever, but we would believe in God if the son of God comes and instead of receiving him, we condemn him. It's a moment of judgment. The, the crucifixion of Jesus is a hard moment. And so as Jesus himself faces it, uh, starting in verse 27, he says, now my soul is troubled. And this is important. When Jesus comes and says, I've come to give life, he's not saying it's easy. He's not saying it's going to be um, instantly satisfying. He's saying, but it will be deeply life-giving. But this world is a difficult world. And so as Jesus is coming to do the very thing he came to do to give us life, he says, my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. And if you go back to John 2, in the early parts of our sermon series back in September, Jesus is at a wedding and they run out of wine. And Jesus, his mother says, Jesus, do something. And he says, my hour has not yet come. And you read throughout John and he keeps alluding to this hour and now his soul is troubled. Why? He says, because I've come to the hour. He's come to the very thing that he would do, that giving eternal life is costly. Jesus loves so much that his giving of life is not simply because he's kind and generous, but because he's so loving that he will give life even if it's costly to him. And so um, it would, it, uh, he says in verse 32, when I am lifted up, I will draw all people to myself. And the being lifted up is on the cross. When he says, I'm lifted up from the earth. It's interesting, he doesn't use the word world. He's talking about now the earth. He has lifted up from the earth and put on display as if the message of the Roman Empire wants to say is, hey, by the way, stay in line. <laughs> Don't say anything critical. Don't do anything other than uh, what our program allows for, or, or you will be next. And Jesus says, this is a time of judgment where he is condemned. But what, what he explains to us is that his condemnation is like that seed, that his going to the grave is in order to, to take us out of the grave, in order to free us. It would be like uh, the real estate developer of that luxury building next door, uh, coming and telling construction workers, break down that door, <laughs> keeping the people of Emmanuel from our swimming pool. You know, Jesus comes and he says, I have come so, to take you out of death and into life. And he has come to open the way. And so you go back to John 10 and Jesus says, I am the door. And there are those who come to steal, kill and destroy but I have come that you would have life in abundance. And it's that vision for abundance life that Jesus says the way has been closed. And so, 
So everything that God would have for you, you don't see, you don't feel like you have access to, but now I have come to announce the door is open. The ruler of the world is being set aside. He will still go around the world with spite and hate causing trouble. But now if you look to me, the way to God has been opened, not because you gave your life, but because God gives you life through the laying down of his own life. And so the Greeks come and they say, we want to see Jesus. And it really is a great moment because there's something about Jesus that all of us should, should recognize something in him that, that would say, we want that. This is what a human being should look like. But the danger is when we go and say, we've heard about the greatness of Jesus, whatever strikes me to make me think, I'm gonna give this guy a hearing. Then when we go, we're gonna see in Jesus what we already believe, what we already think. And Jesus is saying, and, and then you're going to miss what you need to believe and what you need to think. You're not going to experience transformation. So the Greeks say, we want to see Jesus. And that's what all of us want. We want to see Jesus, but there's the danger of idolatry common to human being. We want to see God, but we want to see God on our terms, on our understanding. And Jesus does not accept the crowd because he knows the natures of crowds. And that crowds can easily get excited because they've heard something great and want to see you and honor you. And they could very quickly hear something about you that they don't like and turn against you. Jesus is saying that's the nature of life in this world. If you're seeking the rewards of crowds, if you're seeking the rewards of finances, if you're seeking the rewards of achievement, well, then you are giving up your life because the crowds are not very stable. But if you're seeking life who comes from God who is without change, then you will find that God is not different yesterday than he was today, but God who is gracious and who says, trust me and I will forgive you and I will grant you grace. Verse 32, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people. And that's the important thing about Christianity. It's not that, that we run to Jesus because we like what he's offering, because if we really understood uh, we wouldn't go, because what he's offering is hard. Jesus says, but once you see what I have done, you won't run to me because I'm popular. <laughs> because what I have done is to experience humiliation. But when you understand that I've done that for you, then you will be drawn to me. It's when the world is failing you. It's when, when you actually believe that the world would satisfy you and you start to see actually the world is a fickle place. And now I don't feel like I belong. Now I don't know that anyone will accept me. That Now I don't know... If I am loved, now all that is before me is some form of condemnation, getting fired from work, getting rejection letters from graduate school, getting broken up by the person I'm involved with. What's before us is condemnation. And what Jesus says is I have come for the judgment of the world. The world condemned me because that's what the world does. But if you are not in the world anymore, God will not condemn you. So don't love your life in this world, but love God, who's the creator of the heavens and the earth. And then there will no, be no condemnation for you. Then the judgment that Jesus experienced uh, is a death that you will not have to face in order that he will give you a life that you cannot achieve. That's remarkably different. You don't come to Jesus because you see that he's got something for you. You're drawn to Jesus when you see that he's got life in him that only he can give you. So when he says, I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people, not every human being who ever existed, but people from every tribe, every nation. God has come because he loves the world. So I've talked about hating life in this world. I've talked about judgment of the world. 
Now, the last thing I want to talk about is glory and honor for the world. Jesus does not love suffering and death. He comes in this moment and says, my soul is troubled. He's not trying to encourage us to be negative, miserable people. He's saying, in this world, if you want to be a life-giving, just, upright, fruitful person, it will be hard because the world is not organized to encourage you to move very far down that path. So yes, we will have to make choices. Sometimes we will be troubled. But the way has been opened up so that we can see that there really is glory. It's not simply that we just need to get through it and pay our dues, but actually Jesus is showing us the way of life so that we then have strength to face the troubles. And, and what is it that Jesus is faced with? He, ha- he needs to deny himself for this hour in order that there would be glory. And that's verse 28. Father, glorify your name. My soul is troubled. What shall I say? Take me from this hour. No, it's for this hour that I have come. So, Father, glorify your name. His prayer life is such that what should align I preserve my life, I have enjoyment, there's glory. That's the way it should be. There are times when you will not have enjoyment, but to preserve your life and to have glory, you have to make a choice. What Jesus is saying is following me involves choices that feel like you're denying yourself, that you're laying down your life in this world. And you shouldn't have to make those choices, but sometimes if if your instinct is not self-preservation, but the glory of God, you will find that in glorifying God, you save your life. But if every decision is about protecting yourself, you'll find that you forfeit the glory that's offered to you. That's what Jesus is saying is you no longer need to worry about yourself. You no longer need to worry about how the world promises to reward you. If God so loved the world that he gave his son, that by believing in him, you would have life, then you are free to seek glory, to see the glory, to enjoy the glory, at times maybe to bring the glory in a way that requires sacrifice for you. Um, But what Jesus is saying is that's the life that I have called you to live. So in verse 26, um, he says, if anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. So he's saying, join your life with me. I've come here to call you. I'm not giving you instructions. I'm I'm being lifted up from the earth so that you will be drawn into my life. And once you are with me and you do life with me, then wherever I am, you will go. And then he says at the end of verse 26, if anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. And that's what he's talking about. What is it we're looking for? We want glory. We want honor. We want life. Jesus is saying, you now have access to that. The, The door has been opened. But it may feel to get through that door that you have to leave a lot behind. But trust me, you're actually not leaving behind as much as you think. You can't take your portfolio with you when you die. So is there not something of greater priority to build your life on, to get satisfaction, to get joy from? Um, He says, when you trust me, you will have an honor that is not taken from you because you didn't earn it. It's because it's the nature of God to honor those he loves. That's what we need to change us. I had a friend some years ago who was a very talented musician, and one of the ways he got so talented was because he never felt he was good enough. So he was always practicing. Uh, Everybody else thought that they did enough, and then they went out and hung out, and he said, it's still not good enough. And he was great. 
But one thing that, that I knew, because was, I was quite close with him, was after he would perform, audience members would come up and they would say, that was so amazing, that was so wonderful. And he was a really nice guy, so with a smile he would say, thank you, I appreciate that. But then when they left, his thought was, but you just don't know much about music. And so it's very nice, and I'm encouraged uh, that, that this was helpful, but, but by complimenting you, you seem to indicate that you are not aware that I am not yet where I should be. I had another friend who was a very talented musician, and we went one time uh, where this person was performing, and afterwards that friend, who was not close, but, but uh, this guy that I knew knew that he was quite, quite a gifted person, that friend said to him, wow, that was really wonderful. Um, and that was the first time I think I saw my friend light up. He really believed it. Uh, he didn't think it was flattery. He really thought this person knows what I'm doing, and he thought I was okay. Um, and that's a little bit of a picture of how we go around hoping that a parent or that some peer or that your boss or some institution will tell you that you're okay, you're worthy of honor, and there's something inside that says, I don't know what to believe. And the creator of the heavens and earth who says, I know you, I've known you from the beginning. I love you enough that I gave Jesus Christ to lay down his life so that if you remain in him, I will honor you. There's something there to say that really is the only opinion that matters. <laughs> the one who has glory in himself. So, so why seek the glory that comes from human beings when the crowds will turn against you the second you're not useful to them? Why not seek the glory of God, who, when we were of no use to him, he still loved us? And that actually creates a new possibility, which is that we don't need to choose self-preservation because our self is not tied to what we think or what other people think, but it's tied to the, the life-giving God who created us. We didn't earn life to begin with. God gives it to us as a gift. We're not going to hold on to our lives by meeting a standard. It's the God who gives life who will give you life, and he says, if you are with me, I promise I will honor you. So do what brings you joy and success and bring me glory. But if there are times where the thing that will bring me glory is going to be costly, trust me that if you were willing to follow me and to stay where I am, there will be honor. And that is what enables the church to be the kinds of people who go out to this very discouraging world and try to love people who don't appreciate it, try to solve problems that can't be solved, but to keep doing so to say, well, at the end of the day, Lord, this is what you did. <laughs> so if, if I lay down my life, I'm not giving up anything. I'm seeking glory. And, you know, uh, volunteers often find this at that one-time volunteer opportunity. You're so overwhelmed with your own life and its difficulties, and then you go somewhere and you help people, and instantly you feel free. You've gotten a perspective change. And everyone knows that. So people would say the, the benefit of volunteering is because it makes you feel better. The problem is try to volunteer for two years with a regular commitment, and then you'll find, actually, I no longer feel as free and, and um, uh, good about myself, but it feels like these people that are stuck, I feel like I'm starting to get stuck with them. But then you talk to people that have done this for five years, for 10 years, who, who realized, actually, my going is sacrificing myself because I somehow believe that God will, God's glory is here. And if I show up looking for it, and if I'm willing to patiently endure what feels like the loss of everything that I want, 
The people that have done that for years have said, that's where I saw it. That's where I found my life. That's where I understood certain things that I'd never understood elsewhere. And it's that kind of life that Jesus says, everyone's gonna give up, they're gonna, they're gonna squander their lives, but if you trust me that I can give you life, then go where I am, believe that I'm the one giving you life, sustaining you, and believe that I will not fail you. And so if you're seeking glory, if you're seeking honor, come to me, you'll get some of it now, but at the end of the day, the Lord will honor you because that's the nature of the Lord. Jesus says, that's, if you, that's what you're looking for. You just don't know it. Trust me. And so I want to encourage you, if you're finding yourself ever having to make tough choices, not to say, how do I get out of this with my life, but to ask, where is the glory of God, and how can I make choices to advance it? And sometimes God has put you in places so that you will see his glory. Sometimes God has sent you to experience some of that humiliation that Jesus experienced so that somebody else will see his glory. But live for glory, pursue it eagerly, be jealous for it. Just don't look for it in the things of the world. Jesus has opened a door. So how can you glorify God? Look for it, do it. And if you are with Jesus, you could be confident he is with you. Let me pray. Our Father, um, we are a room full of different people. Some of us have been Christians for a very long time, and we still don't really grasp this. Some of us are maybe trying to figure life out, and uh, maybe this makes sense, maybe it doesn't. Lord, we know that if, if Jesus made quick and immediate sense to us, if he was exactly what we liked and wanted, then he would simply be an idol. Lord, we assemble again as those who uh, have been drawn to Christ, who gave himself for us, still confessing confusion, doubt, um, a love of ourselves and a love of the things of this world. And Lord, we confess what comes with it is our anxiety and our bitterness and our grumbling. Lord, thank you that you set to free us, uh, came to free us from these things and pray for a working of your gracious spirit so that we would leave here lighter that the burdens we came in with us would somehow um, be upon Christ in a way that we can go out and bear one another's burdens and uh, follow him, seeking glory, even if it's costly. Thank you that you are a generous God who honors us. And so, Lord, we're worshiping you today because we want our voices to, to contribute to the honor of the saints throughout the globe who assemble today to remember that there is more than just life in this world. Uh, but Jesus has come into the world to, uh, to give eternal life. May we Receive it. We pray in his name. Amen.